John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. access entry 1134.LV2024, certificate number 13568. The Sentinelese. The tragedy here is not the genes being lost. The tragedy here is, is the culture being lost and the languages and the stories because these people don't have a written history. So we're really going to lose this, this window into the past. So... In the Bay of Bengal, there is a series of islands, uh, like an archipelago, that stands kind of at the northern, the northwestern mouth of the Malacca Strait. And these islands are part of the nation of India, although they're not really that close to India at all. They're much closer to Myanmar or even Indonesia, sort of the same way that Staten Island belongs to New York but really should be part of New Jersey. Right. These are part of the Indian nation. And they're called the Andaman Islands. And there's quite a long archipelago that's populated by the Andamanese people. All right. And the Andamanese people are sort of a, members of the same family as the Australian Aborigines, right? Aren't they descended from the first two humans in the Bible, Andamanese? They, they all... Oh. Well played, sir. Not really. Not really. No. Uh, no, Andamanese are, uh, like a lot of the people in Southeast Asia, are descendant from the original population of China. So as the people we now think of as the Chinese moved into China, who came down from sort of a more Mongolian part of the world, the traditional residents of what was that sort of Chinese area got pushed south. So they moved down to Southeast Asia and original Indigenous Southeast Asianers kept having to move on south. And, they, what, and they're related to Australian Aborigines? Yeah. So the Aboriginal populations of these unexplored islands of Indonesia and various places within that larger sort of Southeast Asian island world, right. those Aboriginal populations are not derived from Asian people. They are their own remnants of those original peoples. And are they spreading from Australia or did the Aborigines move south and eventually get to Australia they, after island hopping? They moved south, right? Because the, that they were some of the original population moving, uh, migrating out of Africa. You know, they were the original sort of seafarers that became that Aboriginal population. And there still remain pockets 
of people that are not related to the current population of Indonesia, for instance, who are people that came later, much later, down into those islands. There goes the neighborhood. Exactly. There goes the neighborhood, although that even happened thousands of years ago. But even within the Andaman people who are a much older population than the Indian administrators of these islands, mm -hmm. there is a small group of islands called the Sentinel Islands. And even within this population, there is a group called the Sentinelese who are uncontacted or almost completely uncontacted by modern civilization. They just live on one little island. One little square-shaped island that is only 23 cubic miles. Wow, 23 miles. So that's, it's, you know, it's Manhattan-ish. It's a, right. it's, it's tiny. The way you sort of frame this, it makes it seem like the Andamans are kind of gentrifying, like the Indians are, are moving in. Is that right? Yeah, uh, the Andamans are the natural inhabitants of those islands, let's say. And in, since India absorbed the Andaman Islands in the 50s, after India became independent from the United Kingdom, which happened in the late 40s, but by the 50s, by 1953, right. they'd expanded their purview into the Bay of Bengal, and these islands became part of India. And so, and they had formerly been colonized by the British and the Danish and the, the Dutch. Danish. The Danish. The Danish are way out of their purview here, I got to say. They are, although they had a presence, a colonial presence in Southeast Asia all the way back to the initial age of exploration. Bringing them Legos and tasteful blonde furniture. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And statues of little boys peeing in the ocean <laughs> uh, and long, long pipes. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> to this day, you'll see an Andamanese guy with a long, long pipe and you'll be like, he's got six Danes buried out in the backyard. He does, right? It's a hobbit pipe. But so the, uh, the Sentinelese live on this island and are, this is a word that's going to strangely reverberate in our own time. I have no way of knowing what futurelings will take of it. But they are described in the anthropological circles as Negrito people. They're very, very dark-skinned, very small in stature, not at all like you would say a Bengali or an Indian or Thai person, even though they live in this region. And in, and in scholarly circles, it's, it's still okay to say Negrito? Negrito like little, is, little black one, I is, guess? The, is the way that the people are still described. They're, they're five feet tall, typically. Speaking and, of uncontacted, it seems like the real island here is academia, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is able to keep saying Negrito like 50 years after the rest of the culture. You yeah, know? well, you know, those things get written in books and it's very hard to go back and erase them or, or write over Well, them. I guess it just never gets colored with the kind of social bile that makes similar words quickly cycle through in you know, in society at large, right? right? It's, you know. it's purely descriptive uh, based on Nobody science. was ever like these Negritos with their long pipes marrying our daughters, you know. It, Although who knows whether the Danes or even the Australians do, but it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's and, far enough away. In Denmark, they still, <laughs> they still tell terrible jokes about these guys. Well, you know, in the Netherlands, it is part of their Christmas tradition that Sinterklaas uh, travels with a cadre of what are described as his little black slaves who wow. Santa Claus will give little boys and girls who are good. A slave. 
presents. Oh. <laughs> if they are bad, Santa Claus's little black slaves will come put them in a bag and take them to Africa. Jeez, so they're not just slaves, they're actually like hitmen of a kind. Yeah, like it's... and this is, if you go to the Netherlands at Christmas time, you will see when Santa Claus appears, there are often white Dutch in blackface with Afro wigs following Santa Claus around and and there are statues of them it's just it's like when they do a crash these wow. little blacks and if you challenge the dutch who are typically very socially aware sure it's the world's most liberal permissive society until december 15th if you challenge them on this they will pre- i mean a lot of them recognize that this is not a cultural <laughs> thing that we can it's bring into the last. 21st century, but a, but a lot of well-meaning Dutch will defend it as part of their long-standing culture of Christmas. It's our peculiar institution. That's it. It's just in, our uh, weird little thing. Here in Amsterdam, sir. <laughs> Santa Claus's little black slaves. Wow. Uh, don't critique us from your uh, position of privilege, Americans. I guess we have the same problem just assuming Santa's white. When you think about it, isn't that just as racist? He's well, from, he's from mean, Turkey, right? Santa Claus? Well, Santa, uh, St. Nicholas, I guess. I guess you're right. He's some Turkish archbishop. He, um, could, he could be any of a broad shade of he earth could tones. Be, he could be Turkic, sure. So he could be Turkito. <laughs> but in any case, the Sentinelese are living on this little island. It's very isolated from the world. And when India first started to branch out and encounter the people of these islands... Uh, they were greeted with a hail of arrows anytime they approached North Sentinel Island. The inhabitants would come down on the beach and they were, for the most part, naked, adorned with, you know, belts of feathers, but not with no sort of post-Eden fall from nakedness. I assume this is a very simple hunter-gatherer kind of society, these guys. They're living a completely paleolithic existence. There isn't even agriculture. They have dinosaurs. Uh, there are no dinosaurs. They have mammoths. They ride, uh, they ride mammoths There were no the dinosaurs during the paleolithic, as you well know. Just testing you there, John. <laughs> very good. Well done. Not even close. However, uh, they... Paleozoic, yeah. paleolithic, you know. Paleolithic, come on. Uh, and there have been past encounters with them during the age of exploration, right? Uh, uh, sailing ships would sort of stop by. And there were in the record instances where, where a ship would come close to North Sentinel Island and again, be greeted with a hail of arrows. I bet it's in their tribal memory. If it doesn't happen much. It absolutely. Like if I, every a hundred years, some weird thing, it's, it might as well be a, a, an evil omen, like a comet coming That's by, as we've discussed before. Precisely you know? true. The, the, the sailing ship was not welcomed uh, nor was the motor motorized boat. Um, there were a few instances where ships would encounter a reef and shipwreck there, and uh, the inhabitants captured and killed. As as was their custom. As was their custom. You can't you can't hold that against them. So at a certain point, this was very frustrating to people coming from. Well, why does India keep wanting to come ashore? I mean, don't you know when you're not wanted? Well, so like if, you, if, if a new neighbor moves in and you try to visit them, you know, you, the second time they throw arrows at you or, you know, yell at you or whatever, you, you, you probably write them off. You know, I'm going to leave them alone. Is India never like, we'll just let them be. They, they, it's warm there. They've got feathers. So, yes. In fact, jumping ahead, the Indian government and the Indian people at this point have agreed to leave the Sentinelese alone. And that came over time. Many, many attempts 
they and others made to go make a friendly entreaty with these people. Because in, in human culture, we're always super curious about the residents of the upper Amazon or these uncontacted tribes. And we want to meet them and we want to discover their secrets. And we're often unconscious of the fact that when we meet them, they are no longer uncontacted peoples. And that is a fairly recent self-awareness or a recent understanding that, wait a minute, as soon as we touch them, we've brought them our disease and we have sort of tarnished forever the sort of purity of their untouchedness. Would you say it was the prime directive of Star Trek in 1966 that changed anthropologist views here? Perhaps so. The, and the idea that Starfleet should not interfere in the workings of other planets, they should have their own, they should be able to make their own mistakes. And It's possible that futurelings have explored the universe through spacefaring exploratory ships that, of course, always are part of their military navy rather than being just peaceful uh, of course, they always have photon torpedoes. That's the funny post-World War II thing about <laughs> Star Trek is that when we envision a utopia in future society, everything will be based on the Navy. Yeah. Ranks, you know, even in the movies, they have those little whistles, like the yeah. Von Trapp family whistles. <laughs> Got to have those when somebody comes aboard in the shuttlecraft. Well, and, and I'm sure futurelings will also realize that all the inhabitants of the universe are basically human beings with paint and weird ears. Slightly differently shaped bridge of their nose. Yeah. Everyone looks like us, but what's on the bridge of their nose is what I wonder. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout so one of the first instances of contact was in 1880 when colonial british administrators went, tried to make friends with them, couldn't, were got, not welcomed. Got arrows through the head. Got arrows through the head. And so their solution was to kidnap six of them and take them to the mainland. You can sort of see that there's a little bit of cultural chauvinism involved in this idea that they'd be better off if we could poke and prod at them. You know? <laughs> right. So if, they, if when it go, the second it goes wrong, you just start kidnapping them. Like they, that, that's the veneer <laughs> of, uh, of explore, the age of exploration right there. It's, it's pretty thin. They explored this island and every time they would come to a camp, because uh, again, they are living in conditions where they're not building permanent structures. They're paleolithic. They yeah. have they have the record players made of birds. Right. And their cars are just, they run, they have holes in the floor of their cars. They just had, you know, uh, shelters made out of reeds <coughs> and palm fronds. It's Gilligan's Island. Right. 
they kept coming to these camps, trying to explore this 23 square mile island and not finding anyone. They were very adept. The Sentinelese were very adept at staying out of their sight. So when the colonial government people finally found six Sentinelese to kidnap, two of them were very old and four of them were children. It's the ones who couldn't get away right. to the, in, the, in the massive game of tag they've been playing for so 20 years. So they took them back to the mainland and the two older ones immediately got sick and died. Oh, man. And so they took the four kids back and said, sorry, did, sorry. Did they, they're Canadian? <laughs> sorry. Now, I understand the Danes and the Dutch, but why are the Canadians there? Well, this is back uh, before Canada was an independent nation. They're part of Britain. Right. So you assume that everyone in the British Empire spoke like modern day Torontonians. Everyone in the British Navy at the time. (laughs) Uh, But. So they brought him back with a receipt. Right. And and asked for two new old people. Said sorry. Uh, But but what's interesting to me is that the Sentinelese always had this attitude about visitors. They were not like the Hawaiians. When the Hawaiians saw James Cook appear in the harbor, uh, the Hawaiians had a long tradition of the gods appearing across the ocean on the wings of giant white birds. So Cook and his initial exploration seemed like the fulfillment of a prophecy. And they welcomed them to Hawaii and treated them like gods. Could that have been, you know, in addition to just whatever their specific religious beliefs are, is there just some element where some cultures have different attitudes towards hospitality? Like there's introverted and extroverted people. I have a neighbor who doesn't want me to visit, you know, uh, Absolutely. There could be islands that just want to hang out and and be chill. When the Hawaiians realized that the English were not immortals because one of them died. Didn't they kill Cook? They killed Cook and they they were like, get the hell out of here. We do not like you. Wow. What happened to the Aloha spirit, you guys? It went away immediately when they realized, oh, you're not gods. And this happened with the conquistadors too. There were several instances where they were considered gods before they just started walking around killing people. You're making it sound like maybe there is no culture that's just is really chill with having white people suddenly come in, you know, like uh, just the ones where it happened, it was some accident of mythology. I mean, I think that, I mean, this is uh, pure speculation, but I think uh, that curiosity goes both ways. If somebody shows up on your shore in a fantastic sailing ship, uh, a complexion of whom you've never seen before with interesting tools made of iron. Cool epaulets yeah, in, in you many would, cases. I think more than likely initially be curious and say, sure. I mean, you know, the first ones only arrive on shore in a couple of rowboats. They don't seem like a existential threat. It's only after there are a bunch of them there and a bunch of rats get off the boat that you're like, now wait a minute. Yeah, in hindsight, most of these stories do not end well. For the hey, come ashore people. Even in the United States, the initial Indian tribes welcomed the colonists and sure, tried to help. Showed them how to bury fish with their corn and whatnot. I, right. I remember second grade Thanksgiving passage. Yeah, it fell apart pretty quickly when the English did their normal thing, which is fence off land and say, keep out. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for helping us, but <laughs> this is all the kings now. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, here's Jesus. Uh, and here's you, Jesus and smallpox. You should get to know him. We have two inventions for you. So in, in, in that case, the Sentinelese are looking pretty prescient. It does They're a success story. In the sense that they have maintained their isolation, they are astonishing. There are a lot of, a surprising number of what we describe as uncontacted people, although we know about them and they know about (laughs) us. So they're not entirely uncontacted. Do we have amazing duck blinds where we can? (laughs) And in the case of the Sentinelese, 
at one point there was a, a shipwreck of an enormous sort of um, cargo ship. Is this recent? Is this like 20th century? Uh, within or? the 20th century. And the Sentinelese uh, did go out to the boat on its, where it was stranded on its reef after the sailors had been helicoptered off. So Sentinelese have not only had firsthand experience of giant cargo ships, but also helicopters hovering over their island. But I guess if all you have is Paleolithic technology, like probably everything else is about the same. You know, to them, right. a, to them, a dinghy and a helicopter, it's like, oh, more of these guys. Well, although in a dinghy, you can see humans, recognizable humans waving hands at ah. you, whereas a helicopter, who the heck goes Could be a massive them? insect. They greeted the helicopter with a shower of arrows. <laughs> And their, their bows and arrows are really good. Oh, really? Yeah. They have three different types of arrows. They have arrows they use for fishing. They have arrows they use for hunting. And they have arrows which are untipped and fired as warning shots. They have a whole class of arrows just designed. They're blanks. Yeah, they're blanks. Essentially to, rubber bullets. To shower invaders as a way of saying like, we also have these hunting arrows, which we'll use if you get any closer. I guess, I guess it definitely shows that technology advances where it needs to. You know, these people had to be very good at killing fish and wild boars or whatever. Right. So they have great arrows, whereas their uh, boat and cart and seed technology is tens of thousands of years behind. So they, have, they went out to this cargo ship and actually scavenged it for iron because they recognized it as a useful... Uh, They'd probably never seen it. Uh, yeah, right. The, but they could see that it was, this could be an arrow and they have arrow uh, number four. They have the ability to do rudimentary smithing of raw iron and bang it into tools. And they're quite good at it. And they, they do have iron tools now as a result of shipwrecks. At one point, a group of Indian, uh, friendlies arrived in a motorboat and managed to get ashore under a hail of arrows and they dropped off a live pig, which had been tied up. So a live pig, but they've tied its feet together so it can't run. A plastic car. A plastic car? Like, like, a, like a toy? Like, like a, a toy matchbox car. car? Toy car. Why on earth? Well, who knows? It seems like a very strange collection of things. Um, and uh, some aluminum cooking pots. This is what we should put in the Voyager probe. <laughs> we should have too late now. A pig, a matchbox car, and some like some uh, pots. Yeah, some fiesta wear. Or something. And uh, coconuts, which do not grow on Sentinel Island, but which often wash up on the shore, and they're prized by the Sentinelese. Right, because, because they're scarce and they're and delicious. delicious, scarce and delicious, and they do sort of. I'm sure within their cosmology, right. This is part of the bounty of the ocean. Because, oh, Sentinel Island is surrounded by a reef. There is no natural harbor. Oh. And so although they build basic outrigger canoes to go out and harvest the sea life. Fish and whatnot. They don't have a seafaring tradition. They don't make a boat that can cross the oceans. And it's just, uh, you know, most, of, most peoples on an island that size would have. They don't have access to that because right. of the reef. Because the reef encompasses the whole island. But and that changes probably their whole belief structure, their whole sense of self. Right. Like everything is, uh, this island is pretty much it. And, and this well, is the planet. Well, uh, it's well apportioned with a sort of a bounty, enough that this population can survive. The population is estimated at being between 40 and 500 people. <laughs> That's uh, a pretty wide swing, It's John. a wide swing, and I think most estimates put it closer to 40. 
Oh, it's really small. It's really small, and it does not by any means meet the minimum viable population standard. For just the genetics of how many people you need to maintain, you're going to have founder effect and all kinds of... Absolutely. So the minimum viable population idea says that if you discount entirely the negative effects of inbreeding... Which, which I like to. Which, of course, every, anyone from our part of the world is going to want to say, you know, that's not that big of a deal. You know, there's, there's bigger fish to fry if your cousin's very, very attractive. If your very close cousin is very attractive. A minimum viable population in a mammalian culture is about 500 people if you discount genetic, like, the disease and... and like, even with 500, you're going to get weird kind of inbreeding. Bad, uh, bad, bad inbreeding. So you would need a, about 1,000 is the minimum number of, of mammals that you can hope to have a viable population. Well, what is the result then for these poor people that are not close to their viability threshold? Uh, well, long term, it is that they can't survive. But haven't they been there for centuries, if not millennia? Well, what's interesting is even the people on neighboring islands, uh, the other Andamanese, who are very similar to them racially, uh, ethnically. Negrito-wise. <laughs> Negrito-wise. Their languages are mutually unintelligible. Huh. So the Indians have taken Andamanese and put them kind of at the front of a motorboat and said, shout at them and tell them that it's fine. And there's no, and they shout back and there's no commonality. So their language is pre-Aboriginal language. So they've obviously been separated from their neighbors for many, 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 many hundreds of years. And have somehow survived. Uh, which suggests that over time they probably like acquired to themselves prior explorers, people that came and dugouts who did have seafaring technology, who were like, oh, check it out, a new island. And then they landed and were gathered into the tribe. So, and they have very unusual traditions, right? Like there have been attempts to connect with them where Indian anthropologists get close enough to the shore that they've been able to throw coconuts at them. Throughout the anthropologist throwing coconuts. The anthropologist would bring big bags of coconuts because they they learned like these. You like coconuts, and they would throw coconuts, and the sentinelese would put their arrows down long enough to go out, wade out into the ocean, and gather the coconuts. They're not idiots, but right. And when somebody gives you a nice coconut, hey, free coconut. But they maintained a very hostile attitude, and then at a certain point in that particular encounter. Uh, some of the women came out of the jungle and each one sort of paired off with one of the men and they started making love on the beach in a very sort of uh, elaborate and graphic way as a way of communicating with the what Indians are they communicating in the boat. With? Well, I, don't I, have, know. I have never communicated with my neighbors in such a way. <laughs> I cannot get inside their heads enough to know what that signifies other than what I imagine is a pretty good F you to whoever it is that's like preparing to land on the beach. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. 
Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n dot com slash start curiously and i think instructively <clears throat> during the 2004 tsunami indian oh. ocean tsunami where hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all around throughout this archipelago and on all the, uh, the nations of this region uh, were destroyed by the tidal wave. Sure, 40-foot wall of water coming in off the Indian Ocean. The Sentinelese survived the tsunami unscathed, even though it hit their island dead on. Does their island have a peak? There, is, there is high ground. And the suspicion is, or I guess the conclusion is, that they had... Like a lot of the Aboriginal people of these islands, a long, long-standing oral tradition that when the sea goes out, head to high ground. And so the, the tidal wave washed over, you know, or hit their island really hard, but no Sentinelese died in the, in the, their population survived. That's interesting how, um, interesting how stories can persist in a culture with literally nothing else to do. <laughs> but, but, but tell the same six tell stories. Tell the same stories. These guys do not have uh, XM radio and, uh, and professional hockey. You know, they, they got nothing to do. Yeah, and, and interacting so uh, directly with the ocean over time, I'm sure they have tons and tons of stories. And, and it pleases me to imagine what their stories are about outsiders. Um, that basically anyone who comes over the horizon is to be greeted with a hail of arrows like that's their standard response. That actually speaks to me a little. You know, I'm the kind of person who like, if I'm trying to sleep on a plane or read on a plane and you try to start a conversation with me, I wish I had a hail of arrows. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm kind of a sentinelese if I'm in the window seat. Well, certainly having been on the receiving end of your psychic hail of arrows, I know that it's just as effective as the sentinelese one. I have three types of psychic arrows. <laughs> You've only seen the warning shots, John. <laughs> Uh, in that instance where the tied-up pig, the plastic car, the cookware, and coconuts were dropped off, uh, the Indian anthropologist then motored away and from far offshore observed the Sentinelese. And what they did was they came, immediately killed and buried the pig. Is this an F. Mary Kill game with a pig, <laughs> a car, and cookware? <laughs> it is. They killed the pig. They buried it with the car. Wait, they didn't eat the pig. They did not eat the pig. They didn't want the pig. Killed the pig, buried the pig with the car. Buried the pig in the car and took the coconuts and cookware. <laughs> so they recognized the pots were very valuable items. Correctly. And presumably even now on Sentinel Island, as they sit and tell stories of tidal waves and helicopters, they're sitting around a, an aluminum pot full of coconuts. We turned them into the natives from a New Yorker cartoon about cannibals. <laughs> they have nothing. They have Stone Age technology and then one giant cooking pot. One giant cooking pot. So 
the Indian government now maintains a um, a Starfleet like uh, hands off policy huh? and an actual area of exclusion around North Sentinel Island where oh. they have rerouted all uh, shipping traffic so that it's not visible to Sentinel Island and it is now illegal to approach Sentinel Island with a boat or at all. It's nice. We've given them the kind of world they wanted. A, a world with no, literally no other people in it. That's right. Although it suggests perhaps that on North Sentinel Island, there might be a Moana type person who like intrinsically disagrees with their isolationism. Sure. Because all their gene weird genetic drift means they're more likely to have one kid who doesn't share their built-in suspicion of the outside world. One of the anthropological observations of Sentinelese was that <clears throat> the warriors appeared to be left-handed. Really? Which is a, a thing that is in their genetic... As a left-handed person, I'm a little offended by the idea that this is some uh, genetic deformity, <laughs> evidence of years of uh, uh, it, it's a, cousin swapping. It is a genetically imparted trait, we imagine, although unproved. But it seems like Mendelian proof is that you can inherit your left-handedness, although it's also clearly a mutation. I have a left-handed sibling, so I always assumed it was Mendelian. My mother is left-handed. But you are not. But I and my sister are not. Left behind by the... Uh, we're, we're speaking to future Earthlings that are all left-handed. You know, well, they, or... They contain the creativity and intelligence that all left-handed people possess. <laughs> it could be they are left-mandibled. <laughs> or left pincered, left pincered, or left winged. This reminds me that uh, the, one of the reasons why anthropologists love these so-called uncontacted people is not just because it's a new thing to make your reputation on, but because it's an amazing sort of tabula rasa chance to see what things are universal to all humanity. You know, it's the ultimate nature versus nurture thing. If you can find a tribe that has totally no contact with us and they don't have laughter or whatever, then you're like, wait, laughter is a social construct? Right. This is a Noam Chomsky playground where he can figure out what is true of all language and not, you know, not influenced by contact with other languages. So it must really gall them that these people are not up for the uh, fascinating research that could come out of uh, watching them at play. Well, it does. And I think it's like a lot of things, like particularly animals who are on the verge of distinction in jungles and, and, uh, the curse of modernity is that there are so, so few left places left unexplored, so few new species to discover that we're, we're forced to content ourselves with discovering new species of ant and sea urchin because you don't get to go out and find wallabies for the first time. Uh, but also culturally, we imagine that in the Amazon rainforest, they have natural antibiotics that we've never seen before. Right. Um, that there are secrets that we can derive that will enable us to find happiness in the modern world. Um, I wonder if that's just an illusion driven by this, you know, this old kind of uh, noble savage idea that these people have this purity and simplicity of life that we could never enjoy. And that I think it is an illusion. I mean, as you say earlier, they don't have XM Sirius radio, and so they don't have to sit and take apart. Uh, the lyrics to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and they can focus just on remembering when earthquakes happen to go to the high ground. But I think there is some wisdom, particularly like don't lick poison frogs, 
but also who knows honestly what they what they know and don't. Don't take pigs from strangers. Right. Do a, not take a tied up pig. If a stranger with a windowless van offers you a tied up pig, go find a trusted grown up immediately. If I opened the front door of my house tonight and there was a tied up pig and a toy car on it and then across the street there were like six guys standing in a flatbed truck watching me through binoculars. Jeez. I don't know if I would bury it in the yard, but I would definitely not eat the pig. The pig's probably booby-trapped, right? This is something that I was astonished to learn. But there are more than 100 tribal groups in the world today, 2018, more than 100 tribes that would be described as uncontacted. Mostly where? Amazon, I guess? In the Amazon but also in Indonesia, in Java, in the very, very most inaccessible jungles of Africa. But even until the 20th century, in North America. Where? The last person who could be described as living an uncontacted life in the United States only walked out of the mountains of central California in 1910. Was he just some kind of crazy Jeremiah Johnson hermit, or he was, an, he was some kind of uh, indigenous he, person? He was an indigenous person who had lived exclusive of contact with white settlers because he was living in, a, in what became an extinct culture. He's the last of his tribe. He was the last of his tribe, and he finally came down out of the valley. I'm sure he was aware that there had been invaders, but he lived separate from them. So 1910 is the last recorded example of uh, an indigenous North American sort of surrendering. These could be the last survivors, you know, the whatever calamity, whatever blood wave it is that ends our civilization. If anywhere is going to be immune, it might be North Sentinel Island, you know, right, or, or this isolated plateau in uh, Peruvian rainforest or whatever it right, is. Far, far up the Amazon. Which means that when humanity bounces back, it's our, our, our central trait is going to be a deep distrust of, of pigs. <laughs> and toy cars. And that concludes The Sentinelese, entry 1134.LV2024, certificate number 13568, in the omnibus. It's possible that you future people are still living at the, uh, the Paleolithic standards of your Sentinelese forefathers, in which case your social media probably runs using a series of pterodactyls and other small, you know, elephant-based vacuum cleaners, Flintstone technology. But if you can access Twitter with these tools, our tweets are archived at at Omnibus Project. It's a living. Our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. John also had an Instagram account under the same name. That was just like Twitter, but with pictures. It was super fun for a while, just like Twitter. Just like everything. It, it palls. Not coconuts, though. Everyone loves a free coconut. Funny thing is, coconut is a very controversial food in our time. You know, like, what percentage of kids in a, in a classroom don't want the cookie with coconut? I love coconut milk, but, like, shaved coconut just seems like you're eating someone else's toenails. You would make a terrible Sentinelese then. Wow. That's very ungrateful. Uh, if you have access to email somehow in your time, we were reachable at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, it may seem to you like we are the inhabitants of North Sentinel Island, living in a state of uncontactedness by you, future UFOs who keep coming 
and stealing us and cows in the night. But we don't shoot arrows at them. We kind of do. We send up our jets to chase down UFOs. Just a bogey. Nothing to report. If you look at all of our films about what our response would be to the first contact, most of them are not situations where Jodie Foster goes and talks to her dad. Most of them are situations where the U.S. Army goes and shoots bazookas at them. I feel like the touchy-feeling kind of interstellar contact movie is growing. I think maybe yep. we're less likely to shoot bazookas at our at our first visitors. Yeah, that's right. Contact, uh, or uh, uh, what was the one with Wilford Brimley where we put the UFOs in a swimming pool? Cocoon. Cocoon, although we didn't put them there. They put themselves there. I don't want to get, no spoilers, right? Yeah, our future listeners may not have seen Cocoon or Cocoon to the return. So although it may seem like we are the North Sentinelese, we have no actual idea how long this primitive society will survive. Uh, we hope and pray that whatever catastrophe comes, uh, it actually never comes and wipes us out and that you are just our great-great-grandchildren. If the catastrophe comes soon, this recording, like all of our recordings, may be our last word. But if the Great Spirit allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.